Al Jazeera podcast. Look where I am. Gaza Seed. That's Al Jazeera's correspondent, Yomna Al Sayed. For the first time since Israel started bombarding Gaza almost two months ago, she and other Palestinians there were able to have a moment of relative peace. It came after Hamas and Israel agreed to a temporary ceasefire that took effect on Friday morning. It's the first time since years, literally years, that I do not hear a drone above my head. Yumna and others in Gaza know this calm is unlikely to last. It's just been extended by two more days. But in Israel, politicians are vowing to press on with the war. This was Israeli Defense Minister Yoav Gallant on Saturday as he visited troops in Gaza. The timetable for the truce is short. It won't take weeks, it will take days. A little more, a little less. Any further negotiations will be done under fire. So how are people preparing for when the ceasefire ends? I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. After the truce was announced, Yumna, like most Palestinians in Gaza, was initially unsure if it would hold. But as it took effect on Friday, she told us in voice notes that people did start to come out from where they were sheltering. The places where we used to live and we used to go out and we used to walk and we used to shop, nothing looks the way it is. Some areas are completely wiped out. It's a lot of a lot of pain. Really, it's indescribable, the feeling. And at the same time, trying to breathe out a little bit that, wow, for once in your life, you're not hearing drones over your head buzzing all the time. You're not hearing bombardments every now and then. You're not constantly worried that this bombardment could be on your home or next to your home. As a journalist, Yumna didn't have much time to savor any feelings of relief or to spend with her family. It was even more work than the, the, the time when we were already covering the war. And she was working as people rushed to make the most out of the pause and violence. The streets have been bustling with people, everyone out on the street. I've seen people on the beach trying to enjoy the beach for once, it's like they haven't been there for almost two months. And it's the only thing left in Gaza now where people can actually go have some fun, breathe uh, a little bit and, and, and have some calm. 
I was at the beach working, so I was lucky to have some moments of peace as well. Many wanted to use the truce to return to their homes in northern Gaza, where the violence had been most severe. The UN says close to a million people have sought shelter in southern Gaza. The least that they wanted to do in this uh, four days of ceasefire is to go back to their homes, to check on their homes, or to see what is left. I'm one of those people. I was just really waiting for this truce to come. I promised my little girl, my youngest, Judy, I promised her that when a truce comes, I will go back and I will get her kitten for her, who I left at my friend's home. And I was really hoping that I would go back. It might sound like a very small or silly thing, but I did want to go back and check on my home to see if it has been bombarded or it still stands. And I needed to get some clothes for my kids because it's getting really cold and I can barely find anything in the markets because nothing has been, no imports have been entering the Gaza Strip. So there are no clothes, winter clothes in the Strip. But Israel ordered all Palestinians to stay in the South, saying that the North was a combat zone and people would not be allowed to enter even during the ceasefire. Some people felt like we want to go back and that's the least right they can have. So they tried to defy that order. Israel responded to that by firing live ammunition on these people. On the first day of the truce, two people were killed Many people were injured. On the third day, one was killed. And yet, every single day of the truce, people were still continue to try to get to their homes. Another key part of the deal was for Israel to allow hundreds of trucks of humanitarian aid into Gaza, including fuel. Now, as the truce holds, UN agencies are scaling up aid deliveries to Gaza, some 450 trucks carrying supplies such as fuel, water and medicine have entered the besieged territory in the last couple of days. But Yumna says that after weeks of relentless Israeli attacks, the need for aid cannot be filled in just a few short days. There are no supplies in the markets, there's no food, uh, there's no water, there's no electricity. Until now, even though fuel has entered, it's very little. It's not for the residents to start getting electricity back. And as long as there is no electricity, then there is no water in, in taps. There's no water at home. So people are still struggling. The fuel that has entered, barely enough for uh, the humanitarian facilities like hospitals. So it's barely even noticeable. It's also the same case for medications. And that's why, although this ceasefire has had a very good effect on the people, at least they've rested from the bombardments, but they're not able to get any of the essential supplies 
that they need for their homes, especially as winter approaches. After the break, what the truce has looked like from the Israeli side. On the Inside Story podcast, we ask if a deeply divided EU can have any meaningful policy on Israel's war on Gaza. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. In Gaza, the biggest difference brought by the ceasefire deal was a sense of calm. Outside the fence, though, the truce led to an outpouring of celebration both for the release of Palestinians detained in Israeli prisons and Israeli captives held by Hamas. In the occupied West Bank, there were joyous scenes as women and children returned home. Some had been in Israeli custody for years. We've just seen Palestinians marching and carrying one prisoner, uh, freed prisoner, on their shoulders, and they made their way into the square. But now we are waiting for... In Israel, most of the captives released have been women, children, or foreign workers. There were scenes of jubilation as they were reunited with families and loved ones. I don't think the families are looking forward to a resumption of hostilities. Al Jazeera correspondent Rory Challens has been watching the truce unfold from occupied East Jerusalem. This is a very pessimistic place, perhaps one of the most pessimistic places you can ever go in the world. And it's pessimistic because this conflict has been dragging on for 75 years and there is no sign at the moment of any resolution to it. And Rory says that pessimism also extends to the possibility of a further truce extension or a permanent ceasefire. It's going to be a very delicate path to any further agreement, he says. So you have this kind of sliding scale, I suppose, of expectation. You know, the hope was that the women and children were going to come out first. That's what we're seeing. But men and soldiers, that is going to be a much, much, much trickier arrangement to come to. What Hamas has said is that we will do an all-for-all swap. Now, that means that every captive that they hold in Gaza would be exchanged for every Palestinian prisoner in Israeli jails. That would be a, a very difficult uh, arrangement to come to for Israel. But having said that, you know, it has done similar deals in the past. You know, I think, I think the families of those being held captive would absolutely support uh, an all-for-all deal, anything to get you know, their loved ones home, basically. But... It's one thing for the families to be advocating for that. It's another for the government to actually accept that as a viable deal. And, you know, there are some very hardline people within the Israeli government who think that any concessions to to Hamas are absolutely to be ruled out. So I don't think that would happen at all. There's worry among the Israeli families that the resumption of Israel's offensive could put the captives' lives at risk. But for the Israeli government, for Yoav Gallant, who's the defence minister, he has said, 
the reason why we've come to this hostage deal, the reason why we are exchanging prisoners and captives, is because of force, is because of the bombardment. It's because he says Hamas as an organization only understands force. And if it hadn't been for the Israeli military onslaught, then no Israelis would be coming home. And Rory says other voices who would usually lead the call for a permanent ceasefire have been more muted this time. Israel is a country very much in war mode at the moment. And I think there are voices for peace. There are people calling for moderation. There are people calling for a durable, extended ceasefire. But they're not the majority. Even people who had been peace-focused before October the 7th and had been working towards dialogue and cross-cultural ties with Palestinians and working towards a two-state solution, I think lots of them have sidelined those activities for the moment at least. And that's why you're not hearing much in the way of calls for moderation and restraint uh, from Israeli people at the moment because they just don't feel that way. Rory says the focus in Israel now is preparing for the next phase of war. They are essentially using this pause to learn lessons from what they've done so far since the campaign started and to plan for what happens when the ceasefire comes to an end because you know the government has pledged to itself and it's pledged to the Israeli people that at the end of this Hamas will be finished as a fighting and a political force that Gaza will never pose a security threat to Israel ever again so by that logic there can't be an enduring ceasefire until that job is finished and so that that's the mentality that is the that's the objective In Gaza, Yomna says that any kind of preparation for after the ceasefire is an impossible luxury. People here, they don't even plan what to do next week because they know that they might not even get to the point of next week. As simple as that. And it's the same here now in the situation. When we're talking about a ceasefire that just started out of nowhere and we're hearing some news about the extension of this ceasefire but yes that might happen that might not happen people don't know what to expect in the upcoming days but they know that they have lost enough and they have endured a lot of pain and many people have been telling me that they just don't have the energy to take it anymore. But Yomna has seen that even a short truce can make a big difference. The relief that I've seen in my children's eyes these past days, just the, the laughter, the, the happiness, on their faces. They went downstairs to play because they were not afraid. And, and just, I was thinking, how am I going to explain to them if this war 
starts again, if this ceasefire ends and the bombardments resume, please don't go downstairs because the war has begun again. I don't know, like, emotionally how I can actually get through with that. I haven't even figured it out on my own, but I know that tonight, when I go home, after I finish work, I'm going to sit with them and I'll have to talk them through it. I know that I have no other choice but to explain to them that we're still going to go through harsh times. We have tough days awaiting us and hopefully we will get through them like we got through the past days. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Miranda Lynn and David Enders, with Ashish Malhotra, Amy Walters, Chloe Kaylee, Khalid Sultan, Sonia Bagat, Zaina Badr, Sariel Khalili, Farinisa Kampana, Nagin Oliayi, and me, Malika Bilal. Our sound designer is Alex Roldan. Alexandra Locke is The Take's executive producer, and Ney Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We'll be back. <laughs>